0: Hello, and welcome to Supply Chain Next. I'm your host, Richard Donaldson. Join me as we explore the ongoing evolution of supply chain, from the challenges practitioners face every day to the ongoing digital transformation of the entire value network. Welcome to the next episode of Supply Chain Next. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, the very first episode of 2022. And I am ecstatic to have Kyle Ritchie, author of the Circular Economy for Dummies, on here uh, to, to kick us off into 2022. Hey, Kyle.
1: Well, hey, yeah, thanks for uh, reaching out and getting this lined up. Um, yeah, as you and, and your listeners, I'm sure, are well aware of, um, you know, construction materials in the building sector. They're uh, they're responsible for, I think, it's about a third, just over a third of global resource consumption. That's my forte.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so I'm, I'm happy to to meet with you and hopefully encourage those listening in to to be part of a solution.
0: Well, I, I I think you've gone a, a, a few steps even beyond this podcast in actually authoring the book. So <laughs> yeah. you've already started by influencing people, man. So uh, yeah, hey, I that that's it. out there and you're kicking people to start thinking. And more specifically, and I think what's interesting about the book in particular, and we'll get into that uh, as we go through the conversation, but the um, the book to me also feels like you're all, you're almost, although you're speaking to everybody, it's really kind of geared toward businesses, enterprises. Given your background, is that a is that a? I mean, the, we're going to get into you, but I mean, is that a, just a fair, quick, high level? Because you know, it's not a book for everyone should read it, but it's not like you know, it's not like recycling for consumers.
1: Right. Uh, yeah, definitely. Businesses, kind of generally, is is the audience that we are aiming for. In which business? I mean, it's it's spread out from fashion to technology, architecture. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, everybody the good thing about the dummies series is it's approachable for, for anyone um, right. who's new to the the concept or, you know, an expert. So, right. uh, so the, the, the best way to, to think about writing a dummies book is you're explaining the information to your mother-in-law. You don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to be rude and, and make her feel dumb, but um, you know, you need to have some details in there.
0: Absolutely. So, so we're going to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, get to that in a sec, but I, I really do want to, kind of pull back for a little bit and talk a little bit about who Kyle Ritchie is, right? Um, Because not everyone feels the need to go write a For Dummies book, much less circular economy. (laughs) So I I think actually, you know, and given where you are career-wise, age-wise, it's an amazing thing to do kind of in your mid-30s, early 30s, right, to to, to, to crank this out. Um, So let's talk about, about, like, where did you come from? How did you get into this? I mean, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not a path that you know
1: when I look at it, you know, screen
0: circular economy, but yeah. you kind of kind of found your way there.
1: Yeah. Somehow uh this is where I landed. Um I mean I I was born and raised in in the Midwest. So I was surrounded by uh corn and soybean fields growing up and um there's those endless lines of crop. And that was just something I assumed was uh, that's in normal, that's Indiana, that was, right?
0: Or or in Indiana, yeah northern northern Indiana. Right. Northern Indiana.
1: Indiana. right okay. Um, And it wasn't until I learned that that's not the way nature works that I was like, "Huh, like it's probably not just the way we grow food, but it's probably the way we design and construct buildings. It's Mm -hmm. it's how we manage pretty much every resource that we're responsible for." Um, So yeah, I mean, architecture was something that I was I was interested in from from high school, Mm -hmm. uh, I would say. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: uh, yeah, I went to Ball State University's architecture school. And it wasn't until the, I think the end of my second year in that program that uh, we had to draw a word from a hat and that was going to be the, the term that influenced our next project. We had to use that as sort of a baseline Mm -hmm. and I, I pulled dendrology, which is the study of trees.
0: I was just about to, I'm like dendrology. There's new words. I figured I'd throw that in just just in case
1: you (laughs) didn't know, um, (laughs) So, yeah, I picked dendrology. What's the
0: etymology of dendrology? How's that?
1: There we go. There we go. Right. So, my project essentially had people move through the site just as water moves through a tree. So, there's a central axis and then there's storage pods on either side of it. Um, And it was the best grade that I received in all of architecture schools for that project. So, instead of thinking to myself, oh, well, I figured it out, um, I actually left architecture school because of my success on that project and instead started studying chemistry and biology and natural resource management um, just because, you know, I saw an opportunity here. I didn't know it would lead me to sustainability. I didn't know it would lead me to uh, the circular economy. Um, but it wasn't until I, I started studying the sciences that I realized, oh, I could actually probably be a benefit to the architecture industry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I went to, to grad school then at the Boston Architectural College, uh, where I teach a couple classes now, actually. Um, and that was sort of me coming back to the architecture industry and applying all of these, um, these facts and, and strategies that I pulled from my, my studies in science. So um, yeah, lifecycle management was, was subtly part of everything I was doing. Um, and so, yeah, I started started working at architecture firms in in Indianapolis, in Baltimore, uh, spending some time in Boston for school. Uh, so I've I, ever since I sort of harnessed the power of sustainable design, uh, it, it's taken me to a lot of great places.
0: Absolutely. So, couple couple things, and there's a, I mean, great background, great story, but I want to focus a little bit on the lesson you picked out of nature and doing a study on trees specifically right and specifically kind of looking at almost in a way circularity of nature and i I had never thought of that till now till you're talking about it but honestly when you step back and look at the earth's ecosystem as a system it's the ultimate in circularity nature itself is the ultimate i mean you break apart you know the life cycle literal life cycle of everything on this planet and it is given life it lives it dies and it gets reused and there's literally like down to bacteria in nature designed at the forefront of you know when you're kind of starting mm-hmm. to the bacteria and viruses that sort of cohabitate during the lifespan and right. then there's even bacteria and viruses that are specifically designed to re. Re, uh, reuse or the circularity of everything, right? I mean, I, 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 I mean, it's almost like you're 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 starting on another paper here, which is lessons in circularity from nature itself.
1: Yeah, and it was um I think it was learning about there's something called the Three Sisters, which is mm-hmm. a planting strategy. So um you have corn, you have beans, and you have um I guess you would just say squash or pumpkins and so you you plant these three different plants in one system so that mm-hmm. the corn stalk provides a trellis for the beans mm-hmm. uh, the beans uh, add nitrogen to the soil which is a key uh key nutrient that all of these plants need and mm-hmm. then the squash have these really broad leaves that cover the cover the ground to keep keep moisture from evaporating mm-hmm. uh keep the soil and all of the critters living in it happier mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's this sort of introduction to this systems design that you can see, you know, replicated throughout the natural world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nature has been doing research and development for billions of years now. So <laughs> it's, it's not surprising that it's, it's a genius at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, we just need to sort of set our egos aside and realize, you know, we are smart and, and are capable of some pretty great things, but if we want to learn how to design in systems, you know, there's no better teacher than the environment around us.
0: Oh my goodness, man! Like I, I I'm sitting here almost weeping at the words coming out of your mouth. Like, <laughs> it's like I'm listening to myself. That's just awesome. I mean, but yeah, it's a re- I mean no, honestly, that's a that's a very insightful view. Um, I, I think it's profound in the sense that, um, you know, it's 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 it, it, literally the answer is straight in front of your face. If, yeah, if you just said, obvious. if you're willing to look for it. Right. Right. You know, it's not like we're making stuff. It's not like this stuff hasn't been done before, whether you know, in nature directly or even by ourselves. Okay. Okay. So yeah. All right. Awesome. 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 (laughs) So now let me let me (laughs) because there's so much I can spend hours with you, but let me let me talk a little bit about the transition because sure you started in architecture and, and certainly got into engineering, but where did you begin to start to feel the pull towards you know kind of being an ombudsman? or did you even, I'm sure you didn't think of it, but it just sort of fell into it. But where did you start feeling the transition away from direct architecture into the world of circularity? What was sort of that, you know, if there was a moment, it may have been a, a few of them, but you kind of started moving your way. Somewhere there was a transition from architecture path to I'm going to go actually go help drive circularity principles.
1: Yeah, I think it, it really came from after I made the transition back to architecture, I okay. still sort of had this this framework of thinking on how the the natural world functions, and so sustainability in architecture was supposed to be the equivalent, right um, mm-hmm. and there were still so many gaps
0: mm-hmm.
1: that it, it wasn't really enough um, mm-hmm. and so i I kind of always had this drive that okay, there has to be something that's beyond sustainable, right, even though that's really the the peak. Of design at this point, any architecture firm around the world—they're—they're they're, you know um, so proud that sustainable design is is a keystone of their operations, which is great.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: in searching for this gap between where we are still mm-hmm. and where we should be, um, you know, I started finding out about uh, permaculture, reading about Bill Mollison, Toby Hemingway, David Holmgred, um, found out about the L. MacArthur Foundation. And this concept of circularity um, sort of kept emerging., yep. and so it wasn't until I, I started reading about uh, circular economy that I said, "Well, holy crap, like this is this is that that solution that is going to take us from just being sustainable with the way we operate as a society to regeneration. so we're we're not just giving back what we take from the earth but we're actually giving back more to the earth than what we're taking. And that's, yep. that's really the gap that we're still, I'm still waiting for us to clear. It's, it's not even close to some degree. Yep.
0: Yep. Okay. So that's that. that, that and absolutely. So then as you kind of came, when did you actually go full time into, or when did you actually get pulled into even thinking about writing book like circular economy for dummies? Cause somewhere in there, you know, there's like, like, you know, like what, 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 when, when was the genitive? Cause it can't have been that long ago. I mean, I'm assuming you no, started it was, about three um, or four
1: years ago. Yeah. I think it would have been in 2017 okay. that I, I really was in a position working for an architecture firm in Baltimore that I was working with some yep. pretty high, high profile clients. Um, and was in a, a position where I could start introducing these ideas of, you know, going beyond just sustainable, mm-hmm. um, and so the circular economy at that point was sort of that driving tool that I I kept pulling at. So I, yeah, I'd say probably probably four years ago now, um, I, I in some way abandoned sustainability as a, a driving goal for me, mm-hmm. and started started substituting circular economy and circularity um, in instead of sustainability. So um, I've I've just been pushing on that ever since, and I, I'm I'm thrilled to see that it's it's gaining gaining some traction not so much in the u.s um as much as you're seeing in in the uk and um all of europe and africa but Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. i have faith that it'll 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 keep pushing here
0: yeah yeah so uh, uh, perfect and then so then when let's just go through this like when actually did you so you started about four years ago how long did it take you to kind of frame this up make the pitch uh and by the way and and you and i've already spoken about this i mean i went through the process of doing Data Center for Dummies, never actually wrote the book, but had it accepted and all that sort of stuff. So walk people through that because it's a pretty interesting process, especially for a Dummies book. Um, you know, It's a pretty formulaic process. How did that, how did that all emerge? Or when did, you, did they reach out to you? Did you reach out to them? Uh,
1: yeah, fortunately, I had, um, I had an existing uh, connection with, with the Wiley team um, mm-hmm. through one of my best friends, uh, Eric Corey Freed, who I now actually work with. Uh-huh. um and was the co-author of the book so we were actually um standing at the at the hotel or hotel elevator waiting to go to uh-huh. our rooms at the end of a day at the Boston Architectural College and he was saying you know i i think we might need to update green building for dummies which he did i think 2008 2009 uh-huh. Uh-huh. and he knew you know he oh, Kyle he'd be able to help you know update that um so he he reached out to Wiley and, and asked if if they needed us to make those updates, and mm-hmm. um, they said, "Well, no, no one's really buying that <laughs> buying that book anymore." But um, there is something sort of similar to green building that that you might be able to help us find someone uh, to write on, which is the circular economy for dummies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so this opportunity arose just about after I think it was a week after. I was actually at a conference in Spokane, Washington speaking hmm. about the circular economy and the built environment, hmm. and so Eric Eric knew I was out there doing that, and so a week later, when that opportunity came came up, you know he reached right out to me and said, "Hey, um, I think this is something right up your your alley. Uh, are you interested in in working on this?" and of course. Um, you know things happen for a reason. I feel like we, yeah. we both agree on that. And yep. uh, yeah, I accepted. And it was uh, just before the pandemic hit that we um, we got signed on to write the book. So fortunately, while while other people were just staring out their window, uh, just aching to to be out of the house during the pandemic, I was too distracted, mm-hmm. just writing mm-hmm. after work for hours on end. But yeah, so it. Was, it uh, unfortunately, I have to admit, I didn't really have to have to go hunting for the opportunity. It, it kind of got presented to me. Um, but yeah. Well, it, that's, it, I it mean, that's awesome. Out.
0: Things do happen for a reason. And, right. and I wanted to jump in there because what I don't want to lose sight of is now you naturally fell into becoming, you know, for better or for worse. Now, you know, a, a poster child literally for circular Economy writing this book, which is freaking awesome, by the way. Um, but also, I would guess, and, and the question here is, in the process, like you were you were exposed to circular, you naturally were pulled in that direction. As you said, kind of things happen for a reason. Then as you began to write the book and actually publish it, let me ask you this. What did you learn the most about the circular economy and where we're at today through the process of writing the book?
1: Oh, good question. Um, I think the the key piece that stood out most to me was this is not going to be something that every single individual on this planet needs to pick up and, um, you know, use to structure their entire life. That's not Mm going to be the way that the circular economy um, gets applied worldwide. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, The more, the more I I looked at, you know, this is, this is a responsibility for businesses. Mm -hmm. It's a responsibility for, for government agencies um, those who control um, the, the majority of our resources, these are the real critical components of this transition from linear to circular. Um, you know I, I grew up, we all heard you know reduce, reuse, recycle. you know individuals are are taking their their cans and recycling them. that's great and all. but really that's that's not making even the slightest dent um, overall, which is unfortunate. I'm not telling everyone to start throwing away recyclables or anything like that but um so this idea of incentivizing the individual to do what is right having these large entities making the right incentives so that the individual doesn't even really need to know that they're participating in what we know as a circular economy Mm -hmm. if the right incentives are there the individual will do it without even uh caring you don't need to care as long as the incentive is there uh they're gonna do it and um i think that was really what stood out to me the most is that incentives will drive this change it doesn't need to be a um you know a warm warm heartfelt embrace of circular economy worldwide to get us to make mm-hmm. this transition it just needs mm-hmm. to be incentivized
0: mm-hmm. and 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 interesting and again you know because like anything when you start to dig i mean i always again to get sort of philosophical here but i've always said that once one starts teaching, they actually begin to learn the most. Oh, right? without a doubt, you know, and, and this is sort of you know in, in whatever Eastern philosophy, whoever you want to talk to about. It. But <laughs> oftentimes, that's the case, right? Like it's one right. thing to be a student, but once you become the teacher, you actually go into a higher level of actually learning, um, which is which is not always you know put out there. And so through the process of actually engaging writing, researching, hence the question. And inherent in there, I want to dig a little bit because there seems to be a very distinct distinction between consumers and enterprises. And I think as you were even recounting the lessons learned here, I heard that distinction sort of almost uh, 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 innately in your description of lessons learned because to me, the circular economy Although consumers we're all involved, we're all a part of the supply chain. Every every 7.5 billion of us in some way, shape, or form, is a part of the as Brian yet at Refashion Venture says, everyone is a part of the, the 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 circular economy. Everyone's a part of the supply chain, whether they right. pull from it or put into it, or both, right? right. But consumers have long been doing recycling. Like we, we're not the one, it's can our consumer lives. Yeah, I just went out today. I just picked it, You know, I just just had my recycling picked up today. We all do it weekly. Somewhere around the world, there's a recycling effort in the consumer land, but business has not followed suit. That's the trailing thing, and that's the bigger part of the economy. And as you put it so perfectly, if it's if the circular economy is being done right, actually, no one should know what's even going on. It's just it's just in the background. It's just how stuff happens.
1: Yeah, that and and to add, it's it's funny because we all see recycling as this sort of a uh, grand effort that needs to be done. Um, but really cir- in circular economy, recycling is, is a last resort. Right. Um, we need to be focusing more on, on, uh, reusing materials, making sure they're durable. Um, mm-hmm. so they can't be used long into the future. Um, we need to come up with sharing programs. We need to be remanufacturing products instead of just breaking down the, the product into its individual materials and then recycling those materials. I mean, the embodied energy goes away at that point. We've wasted it. So great point. The the funny part that recycling for so long, you know, even in, in the built environment, um, you know, we get we are incentivized as architects and engineers and contractors to recycle building materials. We get credit mm-hmm. in various green building certifications if we recycle fifty percent of construction and demolition waste. We're incentivized. We're told this is a good thing, mm-hmm. but really it's, it's missing the mark by not realizing that, well, recycling is supposed to be a last resort. There's so many opportunities to keep the value within these materials in use and extend it into the future for as long as possible. That's that's real, really where the, the value comes from, not recycling.
0: So let me ask you about you're I think, very similarly and think system wide but as you're going through that, to me, immediately there's a like almost a chart that's being begged to have happen here, right? Which is if you connect to that uh uh National Geographic infographic, that article about supply chain I showed you, right? right? That infographic that shows the whole world. Yep. And and you nailed it here because you talked about the embodied energy, the embodied carbon, whatever that is that's in these products, right? But you 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 pull stuff out of the ground, it gets Uh, processed or manufactured into something. And then really you use that something for as long as humanly possible or continue to use it past its quote unquote expiration date um, because you've conditioned it and kept it there. And that's the, that's the best use of something until it literally melts down into whatever, or you can reuse it, which doesn't necessarily lose the integrity of the original purpose of that asset. Or if you can't reuse it, you can recycle it, which to your point, I've not heard that before, but you're spot, of course, spot on, which is you actually have to break, you, you have to use energy to recycle, where in reuse you don't actually use energy, you just reuse it as is. You may you may have to move it, but you know what I'm saying? Like that's an interesting distinction where recycling, ironically, is the last choice in the world right. of circularity. It should be continued use, reuse, then recycle.
1: Right, and I mean, you—you you nailed it. To recycle, you need to use energy to maintain energy. That's essentially right. what's happening. Right. Um, or you can just keep the energy to begin with and not just change its form. Um, right. And so this is this is really important for any architects and contractors listening in. Um, you know, half of the world's uh, carbon emissions, which is a, a huge focus for us as an industry. I mean, they're generated by. Five different materials. Over half the world's carbon emissions are generated are by the, what, five materials. What are those they're, materials? They're steel. Number okay. one is steel, which is about a quarter, I think. Yeah. Uh, cement, which yep. I mean, try and find a building that isn't using cement and concrete. Yep. Paper, plastic, and aluminum. Those are the the five materials that make up half of the world's carbon emissions. And so
0: let me put po- let me pause for a second because this is super important, right? And or not super important, but, but in cycle again, systems-wide. So, you are confirming, which I've never done the analysis for, and I should. Um, again, if I go back to that National Geographic infographic, we yank out of the ground 100, well, whatever, 96 gigatons of stuff per year. Half of that is food. Half of that is stuff. The stuff is what you just said, right? I would bank 80% of the stuff, you know, 40, whatever, 50 gigatons of stuff is actually made up of those five materials you're talking about. Right, because I, I, I again, this is where you kind of get into simplistic. You know, when you break things, take a very complex system and break down to its simple parts, people can get their heads wrapped around this. Right, so recycling and circularity is not as crazy when you think about. There's really four, five, or six main materials we pull out of the earth. Right, and steel paper so you know trees and wood and all that sort of stuff right plastics you know that's oils and all the other things that we get out of that um i forget what the other the, the other two that you threw in there aluminum uh, aluminum, and aluminum cement. right and cement and cement obviously yep. you know yanked out of the ground mm-hmm. right but if i had to go look at those 50 gigatons we consume every year i'm guessing 70 to 80 percent of it is those five materials and if we just kind of stay focused on those and create that circularity I mean we're 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 leaps and bounds ahead of where we would have. You know, I mean it's not it's not that challenging. It's not like we're going after a million different things.
1: Right. Yeah, and I mean e- even if we focused on steel, which yeah. is a majority of of it. Yep. Um steel's not a bad thing if you can use it for 200 years into the future. Totally. But I mean we're we're designing buildings with steel structures. It has a higher embodied carbon content, so now architects are trying to steer away from steel. Mm-hmm. But they're not accounting for the fact that we can actually, if designed properly, we can use this steel structure for hundreds of years into the future, therefore offsetting the need to be pulling in all these new materials, even if they have initially a lower embodied carbon content. So it's yeah. it's this, this idea of extending material use into the future for as long as possible that's really not a variable that we're accounting for. I mean, buildings usually last 30 years. That's that's a reasonable building life cycle. It's it's kind of unbelievable, but we're using materials, some materials that can last for five, six, seven times longer. Wow. And so it's wow. it just something's a little off if we're right. not acknowledging the fact that we can be using durable materials and keeping buildings in use for much longer. Which offsets that need for new materials 30 years down the road. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So, 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 uh, uh, and, and, and okay, picking up on that then, and because you, you obviously got the architecture background, you got the building background, cement, steel, you know, aluminum, steel, cement, whatever, um, kind of right in the wheelhouse here. Um, are there now, but I, but I think this is interesting. I did not realize that you could take steel and, and, you know, effectively design it in a way that's usable for, say, if I take your example, five, six times, you know, thirty years. You're looking at 150 to 200 years of, of, of useful life. What are we not doing to get out of that? Is it simply how the steel is created, or what's the what's what cr- allows that steel to be, you know, prolong its life cycle five to six times? What do we need to do?
1: I would say there are, are two pieces to that. One okay. is designing the building originally with the understanding that this structure is going to be able to, to stick around for a lot longer than the 30 years. Right. So that means sticking to grid sizes that make sense, that allows flexibility into the future. Um and second is we need to just when stop. you say
0: grid, sorry, sorry, just because I want to make sure we understand sure. that when you say grid, you're talking about the electrical grid, the things that actually you know enable power in mm-hmm. the building. The structure the structure
1: of the building. Usually there's, okay. there's a 30, 30 foot, 40 foot by 40 foot grid Got that is, is typically used, and you can maintain that that span just because steel is so strong. Um so uh, architects don't necessarily design buildings with the understanding that or the incentive that um You know, we need to be designing this building so it can be repurposed, reused um, into the future. So it's not going to be something that we're necessarily considering right away. But the second piece is designing buildings to be adaptable in the future, understanding Mm -hmm. that we do have that grid um, that we can now start to change spaces, change how they function. Mm -hmm. So I think that initial design, as well as designing for adaptability, really starts to bring in. And hone in on this idea that steel is something we can utilize for decades to come it doesn't need to just be thrown away as soon as the building no longer serves its original purpose
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i mean i i think that's again fascinating point to throw out to people because again it's one of these sort of like moments where you're just like i had you know unless you're you and have time and, and, and the energy and the wherewithal to think about this stuff. Most people don't even know that. Like, I mean, that's a, that's an interesting factoid, right. Which is, right. You, you know, once if people, if everyone knows that, then a lot, uh, in, invariably those people are going to start asking those questions. Why aren't we designing this building to go for a hundred years? You know what I mean? Like, like you kind of right. have to, you have to engage the, the, the populace and educate them in a way with these little sound bites to kind of begin to create those huge tectonic shifts
1: yeah and the the ironic part for me <laughs> is that some of the buildings that um, we identify in architecture school as like the pinnacle of good design
0: mm-hmm.
1: they are still in existence and have been for hundreds of years. It's so right. ironic to me that right. the, the buildings that were being told in in school as you know this is the best this is the best design ever. it's also still around, which yep. That's not the case anymore. We're we're designing buildings knowing that they're gonna be demolished one day. Yep, yep. It's, it's really a, it's ironic. A, it's a
0: different it is a different mindset. There's no question about that. Well, right. let's let's shift gears a little bit on okay, so now you know books out, and of course that's gonna change what you, Kyle Ritchie, yep, one is gonna be running around talking to people about circular economy for dummies, but then it's also gonna open up you know, and I'm sure it has opened up, like you said, collaboration with people like the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, the obvious, you know, kind of 800-pound, you know, NGO gorilla in the space of circul- right. circularity. What are the things in your own kind of evolution here in your career are you seeing now that this book is out, right? Because I imagine... You're looking yourself at like, how do I go work with and spread the message with people like Ellen MacArthur? Are there things that you're now starting to be exposed to and pulled into that are both interesting and surprising and worth talking about? Because I'm sure there are.
1: Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, I'm, I'm currently at the starting phase of working with um, a great organization in Europe called Re- Revolve Circular. Okay. Um, they were one of the original groups that sort of reached out to me after the book came out, yep. um, and I got involved with them right away. So they're they're interested in really defining what circularity means around the world, which is a great survey that they put out. But and they Revolve are
0: circular, just to be clear, though, because um, there are a handful and there's not many, right? But I think this is more of them are going to come to the forefront. So Revolve Circular is certainly one. How are they related to? Um, uh mark dewitt is it the circular economy it's the other european kind of think tank that does a lot of data and analysis oh circle economy isn't that right is it mark dewitt and team i think i'm not sure i probably yeah, should hold on. Know. i i i, I watch well, I sh- and i should too but i don't I'm, I'm blanking on it right now but anyways keep
1: going keep going uh, uh i'll pull them up here in a second i'll find them but um yeah so they are they're doing an investigative report uh later this year i think it'll come out in the uh, last quarter of 2022, mm-hmm. um, really investigating circularity within the built environment, which is pretty revolutionary at the scale they're aiming to do it at. Yep. Um So I'll be I'll be supporting them in in one way or another that way. Um, so that that's kind of like my 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 what I'm most excited about right now. It's it's pretty fresh, but um, I also in the beginning of the new year. Started the uh, Cir- circular economy studio, which is a pretty small group. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, our goal is to act as that resource to educate architects, um, engineers, and uh, you know contractors on. Okay, how how am I? What what steps am I supposed to be taking to incorporate circular economy principles into my work? Mm-hmm. What are some things that I'm supposed to be considering early on that I I never have been. Um, and I I'm partnering with Dave Benning. He's out, out on the West coast. He owns the uh, building deconstruction Institute. Oh. So, I mean, he's, he's been disassembling buildings and, and reusing components of buildings for the past 30 years. Um, wow. He's a pioneer in this essentially it's. I didn't it even
0: know old. there was a building deconstruction Institute. I mean, yeah. of course, of course so, there is. Right. But of course I mean, there is.
1: Right. So he's, he's been doing great work and, and it's not just, just, You know, pulling pulling buildings apart to the individual elements. Um, he's able to take entire portions of buildings and sell them to other people that need them. Um, so he's he's super creative about the way he approaches it and um definitely one of one of my biggest resources that I I'm constantly just in touch with him just to learn as much as I can. So yeah, there are there are all these groups out there, L MacArthur Mm -hmm. Foundation, in one way or another, we touch base. Um, Rania O'Donnell, who's the education lead for mm-hmm. um, L. MacArthur Foundation, we've become pretty close over the past few years. Cool. Um, So yeah, there are these organizations that start to emerge, and um, you share values, so naturally you're going to work with each other in, in some way or another.
0: Is there a common theme amongst these groups? Because I think I think you also kind of touched on it, but I want to dig into a little bit here. Circular economy has been a buzzword for a little bit. Right. And at some point, these buzzwords have to make the, the transition or if you want to call the Silicon Valley crossing the chasm, whatever the hell you want to call it, to where it's become now part of the, you know, kind of lexicon and defined terms. And I believe it feels to me like we're sort of just also in this year. Circular economy has come across the chasm. It It's it, 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 it no longer you know, a nice little buzzword to chat about, it actually is starting to mean something. And people like you are defining it. And Ellen MacArthur is defining it. And Mark DeWitt over at Cir- in it is circle economy, by the way, he's out of Brussels, is defining it. The group you're working with is defining it. So you're in an interesting position having written the book You get to interact with all these people. Right. Do they even themselves have common definitions,
1: right? Yeah, I I honestly think so. And that's sort okay. of the great. the great thing about the circular economy as com- compared to sustainability, Right. sustainability doesn't mean anything anymore. You right. can stretch and pull that in any way you want to right. meet your needs. Sustainability does not mean anything anymore. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Yep. Circular economy by definition has those three principles. Yep. First, eliminate waste. Second, keep materials circulating and three, regenerate natural systems. Yep. So you can't have, the term circular economy without those three principles attached to it. So it's kind of a safety net for it. So the last thing I want is for circular economy to become, uh, an, another buzzword like sustainability and have the unfortunate fate down the road that, you know, we're, we're calling hybrid cars circular. Um, so I, I, I'm really grateful that with the, the term circular economy come these three rules that have to be applied. Well,
0: whether you like to take credit for it or not, you, Kyle Ritchie, are defining those rules, right? They pre-existed, I'll give you that. But you, you are, I mean, there is no sustainability for dummies for a reason. It's not as clearly defined. It doesn't mean it's not, it's wrong, really but circular economy really actually does, it has tangibility to it that is not ephemeral in the way that sustainability or some of these other buzzwords are, right? And, and, and right. you honestly are, by writing the book, helping to define what that means right right um, and, and I think that again puts you in a really interesting position both you know career wise you know author wise but also thinker wise because you get to begin to interact with all these people and begin to synthesize this into a common you know kind of objective because again at the end of the day w- this should be a common goal for all of us right. right there's nothing that any human being on the planet in theory, should say, oh, I don't want to be circular. <laughs> there's like, there's no reason not to, right? right. Um, yeah. Right. And so I, 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 again, I'm gonna where I'm gonna lead to in a long windy way, as I often do, with the question is, okay, so now as you're kind of interacting, and again, we're sort of at that very beginning year. It seems odd. We've been talking circularity for a long time, quite frankly. But you know, like a lot of things, it just takes a while to to finally take hold it feels like this is the year it's taking hold different than just even a year ago. Right. Um, and, and part of it, and I'm going to put it to you again is the book just got issued about a month or two ago. Um, you know, that's kind of a defining moment in that that book defines circular economy for people. Right.
1: Um, I yeah, think the it's book, kind of an the interesting book came out, The book came out April, April of last year. Right. So it's been out for a little bit. So hopefully, like you said, 2022 is where it really starts to catch and and make, make some progress.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, let's look forward a little bit. So, so in that vein, if you're looking out five years, well, just even this year, I mean, what do you think um, now, also as you're interacting with people starting to gear up, what do you think some of the big things, what are the trends in circularity that you see? And it could be, for me, it's as basic as people just, Incorporating this, you know, into action this year for the first time, whereas before it didn't. You know, people defining it in a way, taking it seriously in a way. Um, you know, over the next five to ten years. I mean, how do you see circularity playing out this year? Because it is—it's a hot topic right now.
1: It is, and I think you and I have actually talked about this before. But circular economy has that financial benefit that sustainability right. doesn't necessarily have. A lot of institutions that I have worked with that aren't necessarily a fan of, um, incorporating quote unquote, sustainable strategies is because Mm -hmm. they see it as a cost to their, their activities. It's, it's an overhead for them, Mm -hmm. but the circular economy, and I think we're going to start to see a lot more institutions and organizations acknowledge this is that the circular economy is supposed to be financially beneficial. Totally. It's not, it's not something we're just, we're doing just to make mother earth proud. It's Mm -hmm. something that as a business, it's a tool for you to make money and an income and a career for yourself by also, you know, eliminating waste. It's, it's Mm -hmm. kind of the the best of both worlds. Um, We always kind of associate um, capitalism with selfishness and destruction of the earth and um, with our history, it kind of makes sense that those two are paired together, but with the circular economy, that's not the case. And I think this sort of um, framework is going to start to s- kind of seep into business operations a lot more moving mm-hmm. forward. I mean, we're seeing Adidas now has uh, a circular shoe. Yeah. We now see that, you know, Ikea is, is doing a buyback program for um, their furniture that they've sold. If you give it back to them, they'll buy it back from you. And instead of just destroying it or recycling it, they're actually repairing and refurbishing it and selling it again. Uh, if you go to Patagonia's website, there's a, an opportunity for you to buy clothing that has been returned to Patagonia. It's a mm-hmm. lot cheaper. Um, you look at Borrow Baby, uh, oddly enough, is a children's reuse clothing store. Oh, they, They're featured in the book. So you can rent clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, for uh, I think a dollar fifty, two bucks a month wow. per item. And yep. once your baby grows out of it, guess what? You just ship it back and and start renting different clothing. So we're we're seeing so many mm-hmm. examples mm-hmm. of businesses harnessing the power of the circular economy, mm-hmm. uh, understanding that waste is a cost for the business. If you're mm-hmm. if you have any waste leaving your business, you at one point spent money to obtain that material. Now you're just throwing it away. That's a, that's a missed opportunity. So I think looking forward, really, really, that's going to be what we're seeing as businesses realizing, oh, this is a way for me to, you know, uh, make my shareholders happier. It's a way for us to make more money and also do good while we're doing all this.
0: Hundred percent. I mean, you, you again, yeah, we have talked about it, and you know, capitalism and circularity do not need to be mutually exclusive. In fact, they Correct. can be inexorably tied, insofar as circularity leads businesses to higher profitability. I, I, you know, and I, I've talked to a lot of people about that over over my career, and certainly as I got into it more, especially in the reuse of computers, um, because they have longevity more so than in, you know, in whatever. It, the, the, long story short, all the principles that you're saying, and 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 I would add another little uh, piece to your puzzle which is, I always like to talk about in the automotive industry, and this kind of predates you a little bit. Um, but, you know, buying and owning a used car back in the seventies and eighties was seen as almost like, you know, you're socially, uh, you know, in the bottom, right. Um, you had to have a new car and it was a status symbol and somewhere in Mercedes, and I'll give them credit, came along and they had the brilliance of saying, Oh my God, let's resell our used car, let's sell our used cars, a pre-owned Mercedes. And that the obvious effect was they obliterated the concept of owning used as being bad. It shifted now to where I would say, come fast forward to today, if you asked anybody in the street, would you buy a new car or a used car? They'd tell you used. I mean it shifted 100%. Whether they look at you funny like why are you buying a new car? That's wasting money. Like that, yeah. that 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 is 180 degrees from where it was 40 years ago. Right. And I like to give credit to Mercedes cuz everyone followed suit after that. And they did two things, Well, three things. One, they 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 popularized the use of a used car by pre-owned. Two, they extended or expanded their reach into demographics that they heretofore had never been able to get to because they were selling cars to a certain demographic that was in the top 5% of wage earners. Now a pre-owned, I can sell it to another half of the universe they couldn't afford it before, right? And they get the luxury right. feel of a Mercedes. So they were brilliant in extending their reach into other demographics. And then three, they really laid the groundwork for where we're at today, what you're talking about, which is all the things you referenced in your book is that like that, invariably started the ball rolling towards circularity like like that little thing had a you know it's like that ripple effect you know it's that you know it's that little pebble in the pond like it it had more i think it invariably had more underlying psychological impact in our embracing of circularity today than i think a lot of people realize because they just think of them just selling these cars but i think it had a big social engineering impact that that you know we're seeing just now.
1: Oh without a doubt yeah. Um and I I'm a big fan of the show uh The Grand Tour with mm-hmm. you know those three three British guys uh Jeremy Richard and James and they they have an entire episode I think it's about the Ford Cortina of uh, mm-hmm. based on your position in a company you had a certain car. So yep. you you had sort of this social component that just by people driving by your house Seeing what car was parked in your driveway, all of a sudden told, told them immediately what, what type of person or or household you had. Mm -hmm. So you're hundred percent right. This sort of, uh, social movement has shifted over time where Mm -hmm. now you consider driving a brand new car off the lot, you know, what is a drop in value, at least 15, 20% immediately. Like it's, it's ridiculous. So I, I definitely, um, think that sort of social component plays a really big role.
0: Even ownership, to your point, is, yep. I would say, in question. I mean, if you want to talk socially, then you talk about baby clothing, right? Like, like the whole idea of owning something is actually kind of being demolished right now.
1: And oh, without a doubt. Everything
0: is rental and share and, you know, kind of just in time and or just in time is wrong word, but, but you know, rental shared economy, whatever you want to call it, or I don't even know there's a term for it, you know, that, that is begging to be had, which is like, I, I just need this thing for a certain period of my life. And then I don't right. need it anymore. Right. So, you know, call that what you will as a baby and you know, it's a great example, right? I mean, I'm growing. So who the hell wants, why buy clothing that yep. you know is going to be thrown out right away. And, and that onto itself, that sharing mindset, you know, whether it's Airbnb, whether it's car shares now, like, I mean, fast forward 20 years, I don't know. I don't know how much stuff you actually own in the future.
1: Right. Yeah. That's sort of, um, I think it's, it's called product as a service. Mm -hmm. So you, um, you are essentially leasing a product from a company, but the company still owns it. They're in, they're therefore in in charge of maintaining it, uh, repairing it. If it gets broken, taking it back and giving you a new one, if it's completely unusable. So this, um, this product as a service mentality is, is definitely growing. Like you, you called out Airbnb, um, Uber, sure. without a doubt is a good example, Lyft. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to start seeing this applied a lot more and more. And, you know, for, for me, I'm, I'm thinking into the future for, for buildings, even, you know, if your house may not be owned by you at some right. point one day, totally. Totally. you get to live in it. And I know I'm essentially describing renting, but there's, a, there, there'll be a lot, um, there'll be a, a big difference between where we are now and and this sort of um, product as a service in the future. But it's, it's definitely emerging. And you're right. Uh, this whole idea of ownership may cease to exist one day.
0: Well, and I think you see another economic point inherent in product as a service, which is, you know, if I buy something, right, and own it, um, no matter what it is, I am a very inefficient owner of this thing, meaning I have one or two of them, you know, it costs me a lot to maintain this thing. But if I own and maintain millions of these things at scale, I'm more effective and efficient. And so it's right. actually product as a service helps every not just the company but also helps the consumer because they actually can reduce costs of maintenance and ownership through the product of a service and, you know productization as a service concept comes out.
1: Yeah, they have um, economy of scale working Correct. for them. If you can yep. maintain a million things instead of a million people maintaining one, it makes totally. a, it makes a huge difference. You're right. Totally,
0: totally. And I think these are the types of system level circularity. Circularity is a system, and it has to be thought of as a system. You know I, I, that everyone's a part of. Right. I mean, I, 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 some people get a little bit like, oh my gosh, it's no, no, no. That's not. That's how big you have to think of this to really right. take advantage of circularity. Because you'll be missing things if you think myopically. You know, as an individual, as a company, as a region. You know, this is all. You know the the world's just integrated; it just is,
1: right? So yeah, that's, is. The, that's I think um, that's one of the biggest advantages of the circular economy. But currently, one of the biggest barriers yep. is this need to have so many hands involved and in agreeing on one system of circulation. Perfect. Perfect. You can you can be a, a, a someone who wants to buy something, but if if the product's not offered in the right sort of system good luck reaching out to the company as an individual and saying hey can can we come up with this deal where i just lease it and you maintain it for me so it, it's that's sort of the complexity that's both a benefit will be a benefit in the future but right now it's it's a barrier i think for a circular economy to emerge a lot quicker than it is
0: yeah, probably. So let's, let's, uh, and I just like, I, I knew it was going to happen. I'm just looking at the clock, a little conscious of time, you know, hour flies by. It's like, a, like just, I feel like we have two questions in the rest of the day. So let's, let me, let me just shift a little bit more forward. What's on top for you and what you're doing this year. Like, like I know you just launched kind of a consultancy. You obviously are, you know, dealing with the, the, the publishing of the book and all that comes with it. But you know, what are, what are you working on during the course here? You mentioned working with Ellen, like, like, you know, what, what do you want to do advisors or what, you know, tell people kind of what you're up to.
1: That's, that's kind of where I've shifted my, my mind a bit, looking, looking at my past and how opportunities have come to me. It's, it's never really been because I had this goal that I was chasing. So what I'm involved in this year or wanting to be involved in is just to be available. So speaking with people such as yourself, Mm -hmm. Um, connecting with different groups and companies that are exploring the same territory. And I've found that naturally opportunities, projects, really amazing things will sort of emerge from this. So I I can't, I can't point at uh, one, you know, project or, you have a lot of stuff flooding at you, Kyle.
0: Let's be honest. I mean, I imagine again, anytime you put a book together, uh, you know, all of a sudden you're the go-to person, which is awesome. Yeah. Right. Chance favors the pair. And I know, for example, like and you just said, it, it's like the book comes out. You're, it's the same thing. I mean, I'll be honest, right? Like, oh, I didn't know who you were. Next thing I you know, I see this book gets published. I'm like, yeah. see your name. I'm like, I got to go talk to that guy. Right. <laughs> you know I mean? Like there's a lot of people like us, you know, going, oh, we need to talk. And for example, and I'll give a shout out to Deb Dull, right? I mean, you know, yep. I'm not sure the two of you knew each other, but you just said you had a chance to chat with her and I mean, she's you yeah. guys are like literally two peas in a pod, I would think.
1: Yeah, we um we LinkedIn has proved to be a really great way for me to connect with folks. Oh yeah. Um so yeah, we actually spoke uh, earlier this week. It's a Wednesday right now for anyone listening. I I spoke to um spoke to her this past Monday. We've, we found some time to connect and chat. And, um, that's, that's sort of one of the the benefits of entering this group is now I have all these amazing individuals with a similar mind, mm-hmm. um, that I'm getting introduced to and I'm, cool. you know, chatting with them and and really connecting on, on things. So, uh, I'm just going to keep doing that this year. Yep. I think this will, yep. this will be my opportunity to spread myself out and get involved and help out however I can.
0: Cool, awesome. Let me uh, let me sort of wind down a little bit too. So sure. another another like prognostication a little bit here, kind of looking in the crystal ball. But um, it, 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 do you think this year as a year of circularity, like like what are you seeing that's really going to be kind of that game? I mean, you obviously got the book. You know, you kind of see this stuff going on. I think you and I are both instinctively seeing this as a year of circularity. But it's not like it's not like it's for you know a foregone conclusion, right? But what do you see coming up in this year in the globe that gets you that kind of confirms that this is the year of circularity for you? I mean, besides you know, and honestly, your book is one of those moments. I mean, hey, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to you know sing too many praises here, but honestly, <laughs> the fact that that book exists,
1: right? Yes, that says a lot. You know,
0: it says a lot about where we are today. Like it's a serious, now this is, I mean, I hate to say it, but when you have a dummies book, people are taking it seriously. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they don't, they don't write those books just for giggles. They know there's a lot of interest. They're pretty smart about what's the timely topics to write a right. dummies book on. Right. right. So their validation in allowing you to author this says a lot about their perspective on how important this is. Right? right. Is there anything else that's coming out that you see is like, Oh my God, the UN's doing this or Alan MacArthur's doing this or something.
1: I think um rather than an organization doing something sort of one of the I mean problems drive innovation that's Probably. the relationship so the the biggest problem that I'm seeing in in my industry and I guarantee just about everyone listening is experiencing um the same thing is supply chain issues on this globe right now are going mad right. I'm I'm having contractors reach out to me saying I can't get any of these materials that you've specified. Right. Like we need to come up with something different because there's no way we're going to make the client pay this much, this premium for its lack of accessibility. Mm-hmm. So I think this, this problem will be a blessing in disguise of we'll start to mm-hmm. see, Oh, well, we actually have all these materials already. Why are we just going to recycle or throw them away just to demand more materials? So I, th- I think, the supply chain issues are going to be sort of a massive incentive for us to start incorporating the circular economy mm-hmm. um today I think it was the new circularity gap report came right. out by circle economy yeah right.
0: it, it the it, group yeah
1: exactly yeah, it, yeah it's perfect timing yeah and it shows that despite all of our efforts uh, we're only nine percent circular yep which is incredible to think about that means 91 percent of the material that we extract from the earth is not participating within an economic cycle that allows those materials to stay in use. That's I'm going to
0: connect the dots for you, Kyle, because Mark, the reason Mark, I know Mark DeWitt in the circle economy group, that data, that 9% is the data that feeds the infographic in the new, the national geographic article that right. I sent you from May, 2020. Right. So it's his group and his data that, that gives us that eight, 9% circularity.
1: number. It's, it's just crazy to think about. Right, um, but I think this sort of supply chain issue is, is gonna um, create some ripples that we'll we'll see in just about every single industry.
0: Yep, yep, I'm with you 100. percent Well, listen, uh, time time's up, because we keep going. We're gonna have multiple <laughs> conversations. We're gonna keep going. I uh, want to keep 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 to the time frame both for you and everyone else. Um, but this is honestly incredible conversation. So thankful that you're able to to spend some time here. I think you're going to be busy as hell this year, uh, but you're already prepared. You're in the right place at the right time, literally with the right commentary on what's going on. So congrats to that. And I I think you're gonna have a really fun couple of years ahead of you.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot. And um, yeah, we we have our our LinkedIn page, uh, Circular Economy Studio. So um, follow us on there. You'll see everything that that and me and my circular colleagues are
0: economy
1: circular economy studio. studio right right
0: dot com right student no s just your circle economy we'll put it up there on the on the written stuff oh, right? great, i just want to make great. sure people hear you know circle economy studio.com you're open to connecting on linkedin as well
1: yep yep, yep. Those are yeah i'm just looking to get involved places yep yeah so yeah thanks again for having me on it's been it's been fantastic
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Really an amazing thing. Um, um, yeah. And congratulations. Right. I mean, it's just like, right, right now it's the rocket ship, you know, that you're going to kind of run into. In yeah, of, in I'm lives. trying to
1: hang on. Trust me. Yeah. Right. 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 Right.
0: right. All, right. All right. Cool. Kyle. Thanks so much, ma'am. This is Richard Donaldson. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments about the episode or topics in supply chain you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at supplychainnext at requs.com, and while you're at it, why not check out the Requis platform at supplychain.request.com. Request allows you to manage the full asset lifecycle in the cloud, collaborating with your entire value network to buy, manage, and sell your assets. Find out more at www.request.com.